All right, good morning. Glad to see each and every one of your beautiful faces this morning. Kiddos, if you would like to, you can follow your teachers to Alethea Jr. If you are new with us, let me say uh, welcome. As Olivia said, my name is Daniel. I'm one of the pastors and elders here at the church. Um, if you do not yet have a scripture journal, we are currently going through the Gospel of John. We have been here a while and uh, we're a little about two-thirds of the way through. So if you'd like a scripture journal to take notes, to be able to keep up with where we are and where we're going, just raise your hand and somebody will get one of those to you. Does anybody need a scripture journal? One over here, two over here, three, four. All right, just keep your hand up and these fine people will bring you one. All right, this morning is going to be a little bit of a participatory exercise on, on your part. You don't have to say anything or do anything, but I at least want you in thought to, to, to follow me where I'm going this morning. I think this will best help you connect to the disciples and, and what's going on in their lives, what's taking place in their hearts this morning. So we're going to have a little thought exercise and we are going to imagine the future. I think most of us like thinking about the future, imagining the future, especially the good things about the future. So I want you to kind of get into your mind, your, your ideal life. Like if life is going to go perfectly according to your plan, if life is going to be as wonderful and as fantastic as you could imagine it to be, we're going to walk through those steps this morning because I want you to get a visual image in your head of what that might look like. So for some of you who have not yet gone on to college yet, but you are still desiring to, like what's the perfect school you're going to? And no, UF does not have to be the answer, okay? It, it can be something besides UF. I want you to I, idealize the perfect school that you want to go to that's going to help you accomplish all of your hopes and dreams. For you who are currently in college, what do you want to do after college? What, what, what's your perfect job? Imagine the perfect job in your mind. I mean, your dream job that you are going to land as soon as you get that diploma in hand. And maybe you're, you decided not to go to school, but yet you still have this perfect job that you're aiming for and that you're shooting for. Now, once you get that job, how much money are you going to be making? Who in here is going to be making at least six figures? Who, who at least wants six figures? Y'all going to be broke. All right? I mean, yeah. Anybody want seven figures? Man, y'all got some low standards. I mean, like nobody was going to even try to make a million dollars? All right, a few, a few of you, all right. Any, is there anybody that wants eight figures? Yes. I can do a lot of good in the world with eight figures. Okay, so, so man. I thought this was going to go a lot better than this. I thought y'all going to be a little more excited. Y'all like you have y'all going to be the high achievers of America. Y'all don't even want six figures. I, something's changed since I went to school. Okay, so now let's imagine your perfect house. All right, where is it located? Anybody going to the mountains? Who's going to the mountains? Okay, who's going to the beach? Who's going to have a house in the mountains and the beach? Not on less than six figures, you're not. All right, ain't none of y'all going to have that. Inflation, my friends, inflation. Gas used to be less than a dollar when I was in college, just so you know. Now, who's going to be in this house? Your dream spouse, right? Maybe, maybe not. Maybe you try to go single life. How many kids are going to fill that house? Dream vacations, 
retirement. Anybody in here already thinking about retirement? Who wants to to retire by 40? Who wants to retire by 40 and do whatever you want to do? Right? Okay, not on six figures, you're not. All right. Government paycheck, maybe, but not not in this world. Okay. Now, if life goes exactly the way you want it to, if everything was being realized and fulfilled, everything was going according to plan, like that is exactly how the disciples had been feeling about how everything was going in their lives. But last week we saw there was this major, major interruption into all in their hopes and their dreams and their plans. And so the, the question that I have for you is that we all have this ideal life that we kind of dream of, of how we hope life is going to go. But what are you going to do? How are you going to respond on the day when something violently interrupts that dream? Well, what are you going to do? How are you going to handle it in life when, when something comes into your life and that degree that you thought was going to be so great and wonderful and get you all your hopes and dreams, you find out was, man, it's just a really heavy student loan debt. What if that's not the case? Well, what if it does get you the great job? What if you do come out of school? But what if, man, the job you get that you always thought you were going to love two years into it, you're like, I am not made for this. I am not cut out for this. I do not want to do this. I have picked the whole, whole everything is wrong. i got to start all over. What are you going to do if when the doctor comes to you one day and says that your, your wife has miscarried? Well, what are you going to do one day when someone comes to you and says that your parent has cancer? What are you going to do when someone says the company that you worked for all these years, they're now bankrupt and everything you had put into retirement account, it's all been stolen, it's all gone away. What are you going to do when you get diagnosed with some terminal disease and all these hopes and dreams that you had for the plans and for the future are now, it doesn't look like they're going to be fulfilled in any way, shape, or form. Well, that's exactly what happened to the disciples last week. And if you know anything about the lives of the disciples, scholars tell us that the disciples were most likely around 16 to 25 years of age, much like the the major demographic of our room this morning. Only one of them, them were married, so they were very young, they were very idealistic, and at some point in time, they were just living their everyday life. Two sets of brothers were fishermen, One was a tax collector making an incredible money. One guy was just sitting under a tree when Jesus found him. But yet at some point in time, Jesus says to these young people, hey, come follow me. Let me be your teacher. You be my learner. You go where I go. And eventually they get convinced to follow this guy named Jesus. And you have to understand that like this was a major decision because to follow Jesus was to forsake everything they had known and been taught. It it, it was a decision to walk away from their family, to walk away from family business. It was a a decision to walk away from the religion they had been so part of, this community they had been connected to. But they saw enough and they found enough in Jesus. They had enough faith to, to leave everything behind and to go follow Jesus. And at one point we see Peter expressing the Gospels, Jesus, we've left everything to follow you. 
And right before this passage takes place today, right before last week took place, on Monday, they had just gone into Jesus, into the city with the triumphal entry. They, I mean, just imagine the scene. Like They are going into the gates of Jerusalem, walking, and you are the crowd on the side, and Jesus and the disciples enter. All these people start laying down their palm branches. They start laying down their cloaks. They are bowing before King Jesus. They have come to this realization. They've heard Peter confess that Jesus is the Messiah. This long-awaited, anointed one, this one who was going to overthrow their oppressors, was going to overthrow Rome, who was going to put Jerusalem as a city on a hill. They would once again become this shining, bright beacon to the entire world of God and His rule and His reign and His kingdom. Jesus was the lion coming to set everything in its place. And they have just been a part of this entire experience. And then a few days later, where they are saying, we have made the right choice. Everything is going wonderful. Jesus is going to make all things new. They're now sitting in the upper room at dinner. And Jesus delivers the first piece of bad news. One of you is going to betray me. Now, a lot of times when we think of this story, we envision it that everybody knows who it is. But John gives us some insight to this story, and Pastor Kevin covered it last week. Peter nudges John on the side, and he's like, John, ask Jesus who it is. Now, Jesus only responds to John, and he says, the one to whom I give this piece of bread. And he gives this to Judas, and he says, go and do what you are going to do. But the others in the room, we're, we're given no indication that they actually knew. So for the other disciples, they're now, they're now asking. They're confused. Who is it? Is it me? Is it somebody else? Who is the betrayer among our group? Who is our Benedict Arnold? That's not even the start of the bad news. The next thing, Jesus gives them this new commandment to love one another as He's loved them. That's okay. But then He says, but I'm about to leave you. And where I'm going, you can't come. You, you, you can't follow me anymore. You're going to be left behind. Now imagine this for a moment. You, you have made the choice. They have made the choice to leave behind all of their family and friends to leave, by, leave behind all of their hopes and dreams, all of their community, all of their security, to, find, to follow this guy. And now he's saying, I'm about to leave you. You can't come with me. You can't go. Everything you had planned on and thought of for the, your future, for the rest of your life, has now just been cut off. And you can no longer go with me. Now to that, the... The one who always speaks, the one who always jumps in there, foot in mouth disease, Peter. Jesus, no way, dude. I'm with you, man. I'm going to follow. I'm going to go. Nobody, no one, no thing can stop me. And he says, Peter, before the sun even rises in the morning, you're going to deny even knowing me. So even if they had even had a moment to get their heads around the idea that Jesus wouldn't be wouldn't be with them much longer. The guy who was the leader of the group within the group, they're now faced with this fact that he is going to deny the faith three times before the sun even rises. 
So in one moment on Monday, the triumphal entry, everything that they could imagine that would be the, the, the beatific vision of their lives and what was going to happen is all coming to reality right in front of them. And a few days later, everything is completely shattered because one is a betrayer. Jesus is going to leave them behind. They can't go. And the leader within is going to deny the faith. So it's no wonder in that moment that Jesus says these words in John chapter 14, verse 1. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Jesus recognizes they are really worried. They are really frightful in this moment about what is happening and what is taking place. And Jesus very calmly very simply says, guys, don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't, don't be bothered by any of this. Don't be bothered that everything you've dreamed about for the future is now shattered in your own vision and in your own mind. What I need you to do in this moment, guys, is I need you to believe in God and I need you to believe in me. And if you do that, your heart will become at peace. Your heart will be set at ease. Now, I need you to understand something about this word believe. This word uh, believe uh, has at the Greek root of, the Greek word is this word you're going to see up on the screen, pistuo, all right? One of the few words I remember from my seminary education, okay? And so you need to understand something very important about this word. This will help you as you read the Bible for the rest of your life. This Greek word pistuo actually is the equivalent of the three words we use in English. Believe, trust, and faith. So when you see the command to believe, when you see the command to trust, when you see the, the command to have faith, it's always this one word in the Greek, but yet we express it three different ways in English. But there is kind of this Trinitarian part of this word that I think it's very helpful for us to grasp and to understand. And so when Jesus is telling the disciples in this moment, don't let your heart be troubled. I need you to believe in God. Now, when he's talking about God, he's talking about the Father, and we're going to see this expressed as we go through the passage. But he's also saying, believe in Him. And so what he's saying is, like, you know me. I need you to believe everything that you've seen. I need you to think about everything that you've seen about everything that you've experienced up to this point, and I need you to believe. But I also need you to trust that it's going to be okay. Now, if you're taking notes today, this is a definition you're definitely going to want to write down. This is something that my mentor has passed on to me, and I use it as much as anything in my life. And it is the definition for trust. And I ask my children for this definition all the time. This is a standard in the SB household. You can ask my any one of my four children at any point in time, give me the definition of trust. And they will very quickly and very easily tell you that it is future expectations based on past performance. That's exactly what trust is. Future expectations based on past performance. And this is a very important part of the gospel. This is a, a very important part of being a disciple of Jesus because throughout the Bible, God tells His people to trust Him. And how does He tell them to trust them? He tells them 
to remember. One of the things that God has set up throughout the Scriptures is this call to remember. It is a very often repeated commandment. Remember what I have done for you in the past so that you can trust me in the present and you can trust me in the future. If you think about Moses, when Moses was closing out his five books in Deuteronomy, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, when Moses is kind of rewriting the history of Israel and what all they've experienced and his final instructions to them, you will see it repeated many times in the book of Deuteronomy. He will tell them in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 15, he will say to them, Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and with an outstretched arm. Two chapters later in Deuteronomy 7, 18, But do not be afraid of them. Remember well what the Lord your God did to Pharaoh and to all of Egypt. And if you think about the spring festivals that God put into place for the nation of Israel, when you think about Passover, what is Passover? It is a remembering of the Exodus. Every year when they take part in that festival, in that feast, it is a reminder to them how God delivered them from Israel. When they had the Feast of Tabernacles, there are some called, called Sukkot. Whenever they have that, whenever they build those tents, you'll see them in Jerusalem today. They will build them on their balconies, on, on their porches. People will build them in their yards and they will go out and they will live in these tabernacles. They will live in these tents. Why? Because it is to remember how God provided for them all of their needs when they were 40 years in the wilderness. God continually tells His people, especially in times when our hearts are troubled, to remember what He has done in the past. Because past performance is the best indicator for the future. So Jesus is telling His disciples, don't let your hearts be troubled. I need you to believe in God. I need you to believe in Me. I need you to trust based on everything you know about your history in Israel that what I'm saying and that what's about to happen, it's going to be okay. And from this moment on, I need you to walk this out in faith. I need you to walk it out in faith because of what you have seen. I need you to walk it out because of what you have experienced. I need you to believe in this moment. Guys, you've, you've seen me heal the blind. You've seen me cure the leper. You've seen me Tell the woman who came and begged at the table whose daughter was sick that just with my word, her daughter was healed. You've seen all these things. You've seen all this evidence. And so now, I need you to trust me that no matter what happens, I'm working this out for your good and for God's glory. even though they are in the midst of utter confusion, chaos, and calamity. Jesus goes on to offer these words of comfort to them in these very troubling times, in this very troubling moment. 
In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Now, I need to clear up what is usually a very gross misunderstanding of this passage, that in my father's house there are many rooms. Unfortunately, King Jimmy and his translation of the Bible a few hundred years ago translated this word in the Greek, mansions. Well, when you get an idealistic, capitalistic society hearing the word mansions, and then when I get to go to heaven, I'm going to get my own mansion, probably many of us have this idyllic, idealistic vision that one day when we go to heaven, we're all going to have a big old house on the side of the hill, overlooking the water, overlooking the ocean, whatever your, your idealistic vision is of what the future and where you're going to live and how it's going to be. And you're going to have this palatial estate with full of jewels and all these wonderful things. I, I do have bad news, news for you, right? I, I, I really do, because that is just not what Jesus is saying in this passage at all. Well, what Jesus is actually saying is, in my Father's house there are many rooms. And, and the, the picture here is much like one we still see in the Middle East today. For example, uh, when we first moved to Gainesville a few years ago, I befriended a guy from Saudi Arabia who was here getting his PhD. We met for a few years over coffee just talking about life and Jesus and lots of other things. And as he finished his PhD, I was like, so what's the plan when you go back home? He's like, well, I've already got a job lined up. And like, so like, tell me, like, where are you going to live? What's it going to be like? He goes, oh, that's simple. Like, my father has just built a wing onto his house. And me and my wife and my three kids, that's where we are going to live. And that's exactly the picture Jesus is giving his disciples, because that's exactly what you did back in the day. The father would just add on a room or a wing to the house for the extended family to come and live in. Now, all the introverts are saying, that sounds like hell, not heaven. And all the Fettermans in the room are going, praise Jesus, Lord, give me more people to den for all eternity. Right? This is, I mean, this is Fetterman's best life. I mean, he is so excited about heaven right now. No one is more excited than Josh Fetterman. This is the extrovert's dream. So hopefully at least there'll be soundproof walls for you introverts that you can hang out and be all by yourself if you need to. But, but it is this thing that there is this giant house that the Father is building. And for each and every one of us, He is adding on a room or a wing of the house for the family of God to live together and to be together for all eternity. And He says, If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And so, so, so Jesus has been setting the stage for this the entire time. He, he is telling them, He's told them He's going to prepare a place for them. So they, they've already heard this, but they didn't understand what it meant or what it looked like. And now the reality of this is starting to take place. Of course, we get to see it back through the lens of everything, but they're, they're still trying to figure this out. That's why they're really confused. But he said, look, I told you I'm going to go prepare a place for you. I, I am going to prepare a place for you but that actually means that I have to leave you. But this is what you have to understand. I will come again and I will take you to myself. Now, now that doesn't help them in the gap, right? Because they're, they're still trying to imagine what does this look like in the meantime 
that Jesus is going to be gone. Like, where is he going? Why can't we follow? What, what is taking place? But when you've just been told to believe, this is where the, now the trust and the faith comes in. So even when you see me gone, when I go away from you, in this intermediate time between when I go and when I come back to get you, this is what I need you to believe. I need you to believe, I need you to trust, and I need you to walk this out in faith until I come back and gather you when it's time. Because I will come again, and I will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. So I'm going to come back to you, and I'm going to take you with me. So you will get to go with me. You will get to be where I am. But there's going to be this space where you don't get to. So we know, if you know the verse, Proverbs 16, 9, man makes his plan, but the Lord directs his steps, right? The disciples had all these plans in their mind, but God is now firmly directing how everything is going to take place in their lives. And so Jesus is offering this as words of comfort to the disciples. And then Thomas decides it's time for him to speak up. And if you're wondering who Thomas is, at the end of the Gospel of John, he's the guy who, after Jesus had appeared to the other disciples, they're like, dude, we saw Jesus. It was awesome. He's resurrected. It's amazing. And Thomas is like, "Mm -mm, no way. Uh -uh. Not till I see it with my own eyes. Not till I put my finger into the nail-scarred hand. No way. I am not believing. That's this guy. And so he says, hold on, Jesus. Uh, you're, you're in this great thing. You're, you're, you're giving me these great words of comfort to everybody, but I, I just have something I have to say. We, in fact, do not know where you are going. You are not helping me out at all, Jesus, in any way, shape, or form. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Okay, so here, here's what I need you to understand. You got to understand that the Jewish vision of what they're trying to accomplish by getting to heaven. Okay, so when Jesus uses the word Father, that's the equivalent for them for Yahweh, that's the equivalent for God. And so the, the whole Jewish quest in life was to get to God, to get to Yahweh, to get to heaven, to be with Him forever. Now, how do we imagine they thought one actually got there? Well, we know because they thought it was by being obedient to the commandments. Not just the Ten Commandments, but the 613 commandments that they had pulled out of all the scriptures that were contained in the Old Testament. So they, were, they thought this was the way to get to the Father was by being obedient to the commandments. And not just now, now by being obedient to the commandments, but now they're living in the age of the Pharisees, right? And so Jerusalem had, had its point where Israel had peaked, where King David is ruling and reigning. Solomon is the richest dude who ever lived. They're at the pinnacle of their existence. Since then, it has just been this thousand-year downslide into chaos and calamity, Around 586, they go into the exile and they get overrun by Babylon. They try to rebuild the temple in 516 when they go back, but everything has just been chaos and calamity. So the Pharisees have said, look, the reason we all had this downfall is because we were disobedient, which we see repeated over and over in the Old Testament. And 
what we're trying to do is if we will just be obedient, and not just obedient to the commandments, but we're going to build fences around the law and another fence around the law and another fence around the law. We're going to give you all these rules and regulations to make sure no one breaks the law. Because if no one breaks the law, then God will restore us to our rightful place in history with Zion being this city upon a hill. But they made it all about doing things rather than the heart behind the things that you do. And so they, they thought the way was works. And Jesus is saying to them, no, 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 no. I, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. But I want to point out something to you about this passage. That you've, if you've been around the church for any length of time, I, I think it's very interesting. It's something, even though I, at my previous church in Seattle, I preached the whole Gospel of John by myself many years ago, something I didn't even see the first time I preached through this. But as I went through it this week, I noticed this verse is actually for believers, not for unbelievers. But how do we always use this verse? This is like one of our evangelism trump cards, right? I mean, this is like one of the, this is one of the gold standards of evangelism. That when we're arguing with somebody, when we're trying to convince somebody who's not a follower of Jesus, we use this verse. Jesus said, He is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by Him. Jesus is making an exclusive claim that He is the only way to heaven. 100% absolutely true. Jesus, in, in no uncertain terms, is saying you cannot get to heaven by being a good person. You can't do it by being a religious person. All roads do not lead to God. It is only through me, directly through me, and only through me can one get to heaven. Absolutely. But it's not in the context of trying to convince unbelievers to follow Him. It's in the context of trying to convince believers who are struggling with unbelief. I think if you spend some time meditating on this passage, you might find it's way more helpful to you as a believer in your moments of unbelief than it is helpful to those who are not believers and have yet to believe. And Jesus says to Thomas, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And if you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on, you do know Him and you have seen Him. And this is what's going to lead us directly into this last portion. Philip now decides it's his turn to speak up. And he says, Lord, show us the Father. And it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does His works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Now, I think Philip 
asks an amazing thing. He, he makes an amazing request of Jesus. I mean, the, the Bible says you have not because you ask not, right? Jesus told them that. They, they didn't do this lesson. So I'm like, come on, Philip. That, that, it's, a, it's a great, bold thing that you're asking for. I mean, I, I just want you to imagine right now how your life would change if God physically manifested Himself in this room at this moment. Just, just, just take a moment and actually ponder that. Would anything about you ever be the same again? Would that not give you the most supreme boost of confidence you could ever imagine to actually know that you saw God in a, in a physical manifestation and you survived? That you saw the living God who had created the heavens and the earth, who spoke it all into existence, appear before you to know beyond a shadow of a doubt He is real and He is true. No one would ever be the same again in this room. So what Philip asks for is not wrong in any way, shape, or form. But Jesus actually exposes the heart behind Philip's statement. And we know this because where Jesus ends up in this section of Scripture. Because Philip says, Lord Show us the Father, and it is enough for us. And he's like, dude, like, come on. Like, what have I been saying all along? I and the Father are one. I mean, this whole time, have you ever seen anybody teach or heal the way I heal? Have you ever heard anybody teach the way I teach? Say the things that I say. Like, dude, I'm it. Like, I am God in the flesh. Now, John tells us this. We have the benefit, right? Because he said that God came and He tabernacled among us by taking on flesh. Jesus is fully God and fully man. And He's trying to get into their minds. He's trying to get into, to get them to realize, to fully embrace and believe that He and the Father are one. Again, now next week we're going to the Holy Spirit, right? Like we, move, we go full Trinitarian next week because we've been seeing these hints and these statements of Jesus saying, I and the Father are one, and we're going to learn about the Holy Spirit next week when He gets brought into this. And He says, Whoever has seen Me has seen the Father. Come on, Philip. Like, How can you say, show, show us the Father? Like you, you are looking at God face to face in this moment. Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I have said to you, I'm not speaking of my own authority, Philip, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me or else believe on account of the works themselves. See, what, what, what Philip is actually asking for is the thing that Jesus has chastised the Jews for throughout the Gospel of John. Just give me one more work. 
just give me one more proof. Just give me one. Just do, just do one more trick for me, Jesus. Just do this one last ultimate trick for me right here in front of everybody. Show me God fully manifested and I will believe. And Jesus says, Philip, I've already shown you everything you need. You, 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 you don't need anything else to believe. You've been with me for three years. You've heard all the words come out of my mouth. You have seen the way I live. You have seen my life. You have seen the miracles that I have done. You, you need nothing else to believe. All you need to do is actually believe. I don't have to give you anything else. And church, this is, this is the lesson for us. You and I, we should dream about the future. We should hope for the future. We, we should not be afraid to, to pray, and I'm going to date myself, you should not be afraid to pray the prayer of Jabez. Some of you are going, what is that? Just write it down, prayer of Jabez, go look it up. He asked for God to extend his tents and to give him influence over the whole world for the good of the kingdom. We, we should not be afraid to dream big dreams, to have big goals, and to do big things. We should not desire an incredibly preferred future. But we also should not expect that everything is going to go according to our plan. That throughout the course of our life, there were going to come violent interruptions into our dreams and into our planning. There are going to become things along that, 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 that sideswipe us, that knock us off our feet, that, that make us feel like we can barely breathe. But when those moments come, we should not lose our faith. We should not be driven away from God. We should be driven to God. And we shouldn't sit there and have to ask God, well, just show me one thing so that I can now believe because life didn't turn out the way I wanted it to or expected it to. In the same way, we should be able to take this passage right here in John 14 and we should be able to calm our troubled hearts by believing in Jesus. Because we have way more of the picture than the disciples did, right? Because the, the Bible tells us in Romans 8, 28 that God works all things together for the good of those who are love Him and are called according to His purpose in Christ Jesus. And that is great. When my bank account is full, my marriage is good, my kids are behaving, the stock market's up, and my football team is winning. It's not so good when all those things are looking bad. But the question is, do I trust Him in those moments? And so we can trust in the future without having God do a trick in the present to give us faith to believe. Because God's constant command to His children is to remember, is to trust. And we trust by looking to the past. And so 
When Jesus says to them, believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Church, what we should always go to, the first place we should always run is the gospel. The gospel, the good news about Jesus and what Jesus has done should always be the comfort for your troubled heart. Because no matter what takes place in your life, no no matter how bad life gets, no matter how hard life gets in its moment, the the fact that, that if we can actually just be real honest with ourselves, And we can sit down and we can say, at one point, I walked in darkness. At one point, I went my own way and I did my own thing and I lived life according to how I wanted to. And I sinned against God in every way imaginable. I even thought up some new ones no one else had ever even come up with. And before I ever committed a single one of those sins, there was this whole plan from the beginning of time that God put into place to send His one and only Son to stand in my place. And Jesus came out of heaven. The Son of God comes down to earth, tabernacles. He lives in some pretty paltry circumstances for 33 years. He lives the life that I should have lived. For 33 years, didn't commit one single sin. He goes through the the ridicule and scorn of uh, of being to a child born out of wedlock. He puts up with all the religious leaders and their nonsense. He puts up with all the disciples and their foolishness. He does all of this and and he willingly goes and he, he places, he allows himself to be placed upon a cross so that the atonement for sin could be made. So the atonement for my sins could be paid for. He he, he does all of that for humanity, for for the children of God. I, of whom am one. You are part of that calling. He does all that. He allows Himself to be buried in the ground and He raises Himself from the dead. He lives for 40 days among His followers, appearing to over 500 who saw the eyewitness of His resurrection. And in Acts 1.8, He ascends into heaven. And just like He said in John 14, I am going, but I will come again for you. We await His second advent, His second return. No matter what is unrealized in my own dreams, no matter how much my own dreams and preferred future is shattered, I can trust Jesus. I can, I can, my, my troubled heart can be set at ease because of what Jesus has done in the past. Jesus has proven everything to me he needs to prove. I don't, 
I don't need a future manifestation. I don't need, I don't need a future miracle. I'm going to ask because the Bible says you have not because you asked. I'm going to ask. But if he doesn't give it to me, I already have everything that I need in Jesus. I have everything that I need because I know what he is, what he has done for me, what, what he has rescued me from. He has taken me from the kingdom of darkness. He has placed me in the kingdom of light. He has taken one who was in debt. And he has said, I will get to experience the inheritance for all eternity. Jesus has done everything for us. I would just encourage you the next time your heart is troubled, your faith is stressed, life is not going the way you want it to, I would encourage you to come back to this passage. One that is so, so known for its evangelistic context toward non-believers. But I would encourage you to come back and examine it in the light of a troubled heart as a believer when you need your heart set at ease and you need to focus on the work of King Jesus.